Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Man, this morning, I can't think of a better subject to speak on than the power of resurrection. Listen, we live in a world where, quite honestly, we need to understand the resurrection power that's available to us. We need to understand that this is something that God wants for each and every one of us. It reminds me of a story heard of these two brothers who had grown quite distant. You see, they grew up real close, so close, and they loved each other so much that the day came where they both bought farms right next to each other. They wanted to be close all the time, but then tragedy struck. You see, one brother had a daughter, the other one had no children, and one day, unfortunately, the other brother was hunting, and by accident, he ended up taking his own niece's life. Well, this created a chasm between this family. It created disparity. It created sentiments of hate and, 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 and rancor and, and all this hurt and all these issues. And so this family was torn apart. And so one day, a carpenter happens to be coming through their community, their little town. And the carpenter comes to this particular brother's house, the one who had lost his daughter. And he knocks on his door and the brother opens the door. And he says, sir, I'm a carpenter. I'm very highly skilled and I'm just looking for some work so that I can continue on on my journey. And so the, uh, the, the, the man says to him, well, you know, there's plenty of work here on the farm, but I have a job for you that I need done today. I'm about to step out and go to town. I'm going to come back late at night, and if you can get this done today, I've got work for you. And so the, the carpenter says, sir, what would you like me to do? And so he takes him out to a creek that separated their properties. And he says to him, I want you to build a tall wall here. So tall that I can never see that person's face ever again. He says, that's my brother and I hate him. He says, I don't want anything. I don't want any opportunity to ever see him or have contact with him. You have to do it today. And he says, sir, I will do my best. And so he leaves and the carpenter gets to work. But you see, when he comes back late that night, instead of finding a wall, what he finds is this beautiful, ornate bridge. And at that moment, this man is seething with anger and disappointment, and the carpenter standing next to him in silence, and the light goes off in the house across the other creek. The brother comes out running from the house, and he runs across the bridge, and he falls into his brother's arms, and before the brother could even have an opportunity to react in anger, he, he, there's this, they have this moment where they both begin to cry and to sob and to hold each other and to comfort each other, and the carpenter stands there in silence. And this brother's crying out to his other brother. And he's saying, thank you so much for building this bridge. I thought we would never have an opportunity to be together again. And the carpenter stands there in silence. And he says, gentlemen, it has been an honor to serve you. But I have to continue on my journey. And they both turn to him and they stop and they say, no, no, you can't leave. There's more work to be done here. And the carpenter's response to them was this. He says, as much as I'd love to stay there are other bridges that I have to build in other people's lives. Why don't I start off with that and want to share that with you? Because you see, Easter to the natural mind is a commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus. But unfortunately, it's remembered as one that is a religious holiday as opposed to an experience to be had. Listen closely, my friend. Whether you believe in God or not, here's the truth. 
that there is a God that wants you to experience resurrection power in your life. I'm talking about more than just resurrection from some trivial challenges. There is a God that wants to restore families, that wants to heal marriages, that wants to reach the lost, that wants to uh, raise up children who've gone wayward, that wants to bring life to communities. There is a God that wants you and I to experience resurrection power. But you see, the, the truth is this. Romans 8, 11 puts it this way. It says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in who? In me. Yes. Oh, you guys got it. Yes, in me. That's right. Let's say that again. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in who? In me. Yes. Now watch this. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, you got to understand the magnitude of that statement. Here's what it's saying. The same that is true of Jesus is true of you. And so just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give, your, uh, give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. The truth is this, that the resurrection of Jesus isn't just an event to celebrate. It is a power to be experienced. It is a power to be experienced. There is new life available to you and I. See, Jesus came to fix what we can't, but it requires us opening the doors of our lives, of our hearts, of our thinking, of our understanding, and creating an entrance for him to enter our lives so that he can build the bridges that we need to get there. My friend, Jesus came to undo what we did. See, According to the scriptures, if you just look at the very beginning of time and creation, men are the ones that introduce sin to you. Let me just put it to you this way in layman's terms. We messed it up. And, you know, if you just look at history, we always mess it up. Isn't that true? We mess it up. So it makes sense that if we mess it up, we're the ones who are supposed to fix it. The problem is this. We can't. I'll prove it to you. You ever make some mistakes, sir? Right? You ever drop the ball? Right? Let your wife down? Right? Let your mom down? Let your kids down? Right? You ever, you ever, you ever mess up so bad that you feel like there's no coming back from this? There's no words that I can say. There's no sorries that can restore. There's nothing that I can do to, uh, to, to, to undo this damage. See, history tells us we've always created messes and we can't fix it. Just like you haven't been able to fix some of those areas in your life. But thus, this is why Jesus came. This is why God in all his wisdom came in the form of a man. Why? To prove that a man could undo it all for us. And pronounce us free of the guilt and the shame that we've carried because of the messes that we created. And so you see, when it comes to the world that we live in, it's chaos. And it's a result of the messes that we've created, the mistakes that we habitually make. And since we created it, God had to do something on our behalf. So here's, here's, it's for that reason that I want you to consider here this point in Scripture. It tells us that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Get what the Scripture is saying there. While we were the ones who made the mess and were living in the mess, he stepped into our mess and gave us beauty. The scriptures put it this way. He gives us beauty 
for ashes. What an exchange. Isn't that a good deal? You give him ashes, there's no coming back from ashes, and he gives you something better. He gives you beauty. He's still the God that's into families. He's still the God that's into communities. He's still the God that wants to restore and give us back in greater measure what the locust is eating. And so there's a question that I want us to consider. If the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available for all, all mankind, if it's truly possible for each and every one of us to be able to rise, then how come, why is it, what is it that's stopping us? Stopping us. Let me, let me, let me tell you what I'm talking about here. See, it's a matter of belief. As a matter of fact, I submit to you more, more correctly, it's a matter of unbelief. You can't live in the world that we live in and tune into everything that this world is pumping out and not be impacted in your belief of God. It's for that reason that we need to do something about this unbelief, about this culture, about this, this, this thing that seizes upon our hearts. You know, God knew that the ways of men would always cripple us. That it would always lead us to destruction. And so he had to provide us something more powerful. Thus in John eleven twenty five and 26, it records the words of Jesus where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Here's what he's saying. I provide you the way. I show you a better way. And he says, the one who believes in me will live even if they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you see that life is not a matter of living and dying physically? It's a quality of life. It's a state of belief and understanding. And so he goes on to ask this question. Do you believe this? Do you believe beyond what this world tells us? Do you believe? It's a powerful question. You know, in Matthew 9, we have record of a man who struggled with great unbelief. Starting at verse 17, it says that a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long will I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Listen to what Jesus is saying. How long do we have to continue going in this circle? Chasing this tail. And so the scripture goes on to say that Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And so they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, and he fell to the ground and rolled around. Foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? How long has he been bound 
to this situation? How long have you been struggling with this issue in your family? How long has this been plaguing your heart and your mind? How long have you been living with this worry and with this care and with this weight and with this unresolved situation? How long? And the scripture says that the man answered, it was from childhood. It's from childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. If you can? You mean if I can? Everything is possible. Listen to this. For the one who believes. For the one who believes. You know, if you think about life just in general, Everything we experience gets created in two places. It first has to be created and conceived in our hearts and in our minds and our imagination. And then once it's conceived there, then we can begin to believe to see it. So what was the issue that plagued this man's heart? This man had only one reference point up until this point. It was his circumstances. Let me ask you a question. Just for personal reflection, is your belief, is your faith, and your trust in God based on your circumstances, or is it based on what God reveals to you from his word? And maybe, for some of us, maybe the reason why we don't have that reference point is because we don't even begin to understand nor dare to know the truth that the scriptures reveal. And so what we see is that this man was plagued. He was bound by this dilemma and this unbelief. They lived in turmoil, this family. They were hurting. They were feeling helpless. This man is struggling. And there's a couple of reasons why this man struggled with unbelief. I think it's uh, uh, some, some points that we ourselves can relate to. Number one, we look to people in hopes of finding God. We look to people in hopes of finding God. Sir, would you do me a favor? Is this your wife? Could you do me a favor? Could you give her a kiss? No, come on, come on. Give her a real kiss, a big kiss. Okay, okay, okay. Calm down, ladies and gentlemen. Calm down. Calm down. So now we're going to try that again, but I'd like to do something else. Sir, would you sit in between and you kiss him and he'll kiss your wife? That's not going to work, right? It's not going to work, right? What's my point with that? What's my point with that? Let me tell you what my point is with that. Sometimes we look to people in hopes of third-wheeling it with God. We treat God like the third wheel. And we know that because this man, it sounds like he was doing the right thing and going to Jesus, but what we see is that his heart, and there was a dilemma in his heart and it was unbelief because he was turning to the disciples and saying, hey, do for me what God can do. He was depending on people. You know what that's called today? Religion. That's called religion. It's looking to people. It's one of the reasons why we, we, we're, we're infamous for saying this. Please don't look at the pastors here. Our opinion holds no weight here. It's not about us. It's not about any leadership here. If it's not pointing you to Jesus, then guess what? The mission failed. We haven't done our job. 
If you don't leave, whether this is your house or whatever house you go to, if you don't leave closer to God, knowing God, personally experiencing God, run from that place. Or maybe it's not the place. Maybe you need to run to God. That was free, by the way. Anyway, some other reasons why we might struggle with unbelief. We seek God in times of need, but we don't believe in him. Listen. This man's world was riddled with turmoil. He was under the weight of this situation. It racked his ability to believe for anything in life. But what we see is that there was a plot of the enemy. The one that's always been in play. Jesus put it this way in John 10. The thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so this man was under that weight. He and his son were bound by this for many, many years. And it's not unlike the world we live in today. There's wars and there's rumors of wars and there's sickness and there's this pandemic and there's this variant and there's this situation and there's these politics. You're red, you're blue, you're a donkey, you're an elephant, you're this, you're that. You're black, you're white, I'm, I'm from this economic status, you're from that one. You can live in this community, you can't live in this community. And even over the last two and a half years, if you think about it, what we have is a result of fear and turmoil that has gripped the hearts of many. And people are bound. And if we're to break free, my friends, the truth is this. We can't just turn to God in our time of need. That's just using him. It's just using him. I I submit to you, None of us would want that, right? And so you see, we seek God in times of need, but we don't believe in him. That's going to always equate to unbelief. One more reason why, uh, what, what might lead to struggling with unbelief. We believe our history more than his story. At the tail end of this encounter with Jesus, this man comes to a crossroads. It's a place of decision. He's before Jesus. He knows that Jesus can do this. Jesus has already said, bring me the boy. And this guy is relying on his evidence. This is what's happened every other time. And so he says to Jesus, listen, would you take pity upon us? If you can do this, please take pity upon us and help my son. Deliver him. And Jesus responds with a question. He says to him, if I can, if I can, And then he says, everything is possible for the one who believes. And at this point, here comes the place of decision. He says to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. What is he talking about? It almost sounds like he's contradicting what he's saying. No, what he's declaring is this, is I believe in you, Jesus. But my belief is rocked because of this circumstance. I just can't believe that somehow this is the time where this changes. And what I love about this encounter and this life-defining moment is that Jesus doesn't run away from this guy and discard him and say to him, you're worthless. No, instead he says, I know you disbelieve as it pertains to this situation, but you believe in me and thus bring me the boy. See, he was unmoved by his doubt in the circumstances. Jesus wasn't concerned with with this man's belief over his circumstances. He was more concerned with the man's belief in him, which led to the deliverance of his son. And so I want to, 
as, as we come to a close here today, I want us to consider something that after the crucifixion of Jesus, it threw many believers into a tailspin. A tailspin of doubt, of fear, of hurt. You know, yesterday I was driving in my car early in the morning, and it was a beautiful morning. You know, I'm just driving, everything's quiet. And I was thinking and, and trying to envision what it must have been like for all these people who believed in Christ the day after his crucifixion. I want you to think about this. They had placed their hope, their trust, and their complete confidence in Christ. And it appeared that the Christ, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, had suffered a great defeat. Something that in their rational mind could not be possible. And so it led them to unbelief. But you see, they did not understand God's plan. One such man among many that disbelieved in Jesus after this point was one of his closest followers. It was a disciple named Thomas. And this guy Thomas, he, he, he saw what had happened to Jesus and he finds himself at a point where he, he comes to where the disciples are and he hears news and he goes, that can't be so. Listen to what John chapter 20, starting at verse 24 says. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve and was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so prior to this moment, Christ, the resurrected Christ, the man God in, in, in the form of man, shows himself to his disciples to prove not just that he's risen, but he's saying, hey, this is possible for each and every one of you to rise again. So he shows up and Thomas isn't there and watch what happens. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. What we see is that he was stuck in his disappointment and his hurt and his confusion and his doubts in what had become popular opinion and had become fact. And discarded the truth. But you see, one week later, the scripture says this. That Jesus came specifically to Thomas. I pray that you are hearing with your heart right now. In the midst of Thomas's unbelief. Of his hurt. Of his doubt. Of his circumstances. The Lord Jesus Christ went there. He drew near. He came specifically for Thomas. And watch what happens. John 20, verse 26 says, A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them. And watch what he declares to Thomas. Watch what he speaks to his hurt. Watch what he speaks to his Watch what he speaks to his, his, his dilemma. To everything that's seized upon his heart, he says, peace be with you. Peace be unto you in your hurt. Peace be unto you 
in the midst of the betrayals that you've suffered. Peace be unto you in the midst of your marriage. Peace be unto you in the midst of that situation with that wayward son who's gone away that you never thought they would. Peace be unto you in this community. Peace be unto you in this workplace. Peace be unto you in, in the midst of your doubts. Peace, peace, peace be with you. See, Jesus was unwilling to leave him in a perpetual state of disappointment and hurt. And so Jesus comes specifically to Thomas in the place of his deepest, darkest moment in life. And he, in essence, says to him, come and see. Come and see. See, your doubts don't keep Jesus away. Your unbelief because of your circumstances does not keep you away. Let's be clear on what we're saying when, when some of us say, I don't believe in God. No, what you're saying is, I believe my circumstances. I believe my history. I believe what my family line dictates and what they tell me is going to be my outcome. And Jesus, God shows up there. And he says, I know that's what you believe, but just understand that your unbelief isn't based on God. It's based on what you've been through and what you're going through. Don't pawn it on God. Don't pawn it on God. And so in John 20, 27, it says that he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Watch this. Stop doubting. And believe. Notice what he didn't say. Stop doubting and change yourself. He doesn't say stop doubting and get your act together. He doesn't say stop doubting and clean your life up. Stop doubting and talk Christianese. Stop doubting and look like a Christian. Can I tell you that if being a Christian, being a follower of Christ was based on your outward presentation, we're all in a pickle. I'm going to tell you why. Because what's on the outside is just appearances. And God is still the God who sees us in the heart. He loves you right there. And so our doubts don't keep Jesus away, but instead he draws near. The second point I want to leave you with here is that you must take a step to discover who Jesus is. I'm going to say that again. You must take a step to discover who Jesus is. If your unbelief, and I'm not saying, hey, if the shoe fits, now's the time not to wear it. It's time to change it. But if this is where you are, and you say, I don't know that I completely believe, I don't know that I completely trust in God, then I want to encourage you to take this step to discover who Jesus is before you prematurely make a decision based on your circumstances. See, Jesus stepped right into the middle of Thomas's unbelief, but Thomas had to make a move toward Jesus. You know, in order to rise... You've got to be willing to leave where you've been sitting your whole life. You've got to be willing to leave that mindset. 
You've got to be willing to leave the unbelief that has bound you and has wrapped you up and keeps you locked, chain and bolt, stuck in a muck like a duck. See, belief won't come to you. You have to go to it. You have to go to it. You have to go to it. It reminds me of a movie I once saw. Don't ask me which one it was because I can't tell you. It was one of those Indiana Jones. It was like a, a gazillion of them. And in this particular one that I'm reminded of, Indiana Jones finds himself pinned between a wall and what appears to be a complete chasm. There's nothing there. But you see, the map, the instructions, the one who gave the instructions that provided the, this, this direction for him, according to those directions, according to that instruction, according to those coordinates, it stated there's a floor there for you to get from here to there where that chalice is that you are to get. And in this particular scene, it's powerful because he finds himself, you can see the doubt, you can see the unbelief, you can see uh, the struggle to take a step. And so he does something really smart, something that I think we should all consider taking heed to in our lives. He closes his eyes to the physical evidence. And he says, there has to be a floor there. Somebody needs to hear this today, whether you're here or you're online. Somebody needs to hear this. You've been basing your, experiencing with, your experience with God and what, what God can make possible in your life based on physical evidence. In other words, you're saying, God, show me first, and then I'll take a step. That's not belief at all, my friend. That's a business proposition. That's a business transaction. And so Indiana Jones takes this step. He closes his eyes to all the physical circumstances. He closes his eyes to popular opinion. He closes his eyes to what experience tells him. He closes his eyes to everything that the natural senses dictate. And for the first time, he trusts. And when he trusts... He takes a step, and he discovers that there's a path there. My friend, let me tell you about belief. You must take a step in belief if you are to ever find a path that God has for you. Which leads me to a final point. You and I must give our life to the one who gave his life. I'm going to say that again. Give your life to the one who gave his life. Think about this. When Thomas realized that Jesus was in fact risen and was there for him, despite his unbelief, life changed. Life changed. If I could just address this from a very natural and practical level, isn't it true that any change that you've ever experienced took you going out on a limb to something that you did not know, you could not see, you had no evidence for, but there was an inner witness within you that said, I have 
to do this. Can I say this to you, my friends? I'm no better than anyone here. Don't let that pastor title thing fool you. I'm a product of the same belief that you and I, that you and everyone in this world has. But you see, the, the proof of your belief, if it's true, is that it works. Let me ask you something. What you've been believing, whether it's in God or not, well, let's just talk about if you're not fully believing in God. How's that working for you? Is it bringing resurrection power into your life? Is it really working in your home? Is it really working in the midst of the choices that you have to make? Is it working in your marriage? Is it working in the workplace? Is it working? Is it truly bringing resolutions, resolution to this world? Because if it's not, then I submit to you this. You've misplaced your belief. And today, I simply want to encourage you to go beyond the physical circumstances and evidence of this world and to place your belief in the one who proved that you could rise by giving his life for you and die. Let me tell you, somebody needs this today. You will rise again and again and again and again and again. And again, you are not dead and you are not done. There is power working in you. And it's about high time that we rise to new life. And that we trust in the one who gave his life for us. When Thomas realized that Jesus was in fact risen, the scripture records this in John 20, 28, that he said, my Lord and my God. And at that moment, watch what Thomas did. He got up from his place of unbelief. He left his circumstances. He decided that it was time to let go of the very thing that bound him. Listen, the things that keep us stuck are a matter of choice. I get it. There are some things that people will do that can impact us. But at some point, you have to decide and say, this will not be my story. There is something better for me in this life. God has new life in store for you and I. Let's rise here today as we come to a close. I want to leave you with a final point here. And it's this. It's that belief isn't faith in something. Belief is faith in someone. Who will you believe? I want to stress that word, who. Because let me tell you, if you believe that reporter that's your favorite one, if you believe the people that remind you of where you've been, and why you're bound to remain stuck, if you believe the statistics, if you believe the opinion of leaders, if you believe what people say, if you buy into all that, no wonder, no wonder, no wonder there isn't change. It's time to rise.
because God guarantees that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead it lives in you. And let me tell you something about life. It takes one who has life to give life to another. So let's rise. It's very possible there's someone here today. Maybe you're joining us online. And you, you understand these chains. You understand these chains. You understand what this feels like. Because no matter how hard you try, you just feel like you can't get a break. But I'm telling you right now that greater is he within you than he that is in this world. It's time to let go and believe in God. So if you felt that way, and today you find yourself saying, I want that new life. I want that same power working in my life, not just in this moment, but for the rest of my life. Then my friend, here's what you need to understand. That Jesus gave his life so that you can take that life. So that you can walk in that life. So that you can rise again. If you believe that today, and you, you're at that point where you say, enough is enough. I'm done with this unbelief. I'm done with these struggles. I'm placing my trust in God. Then pray this with us today. If you believe that, we want you to do something with us. Whether you're here or you're online. If you're online, give us a hand emoji. Send us a direct message. Could you believe it? That's the world we're in. Right? Let us know. But if you're in the house, we want you to do something. We want you to raise your hand and let us know. I'm going to tell you why. Not because anybody's going to shame you or embarrass you. No, that's not what this is about. It's because you count. It's because you matter. And it's because we want to walk alongside you on this journey for the rest of life. And so at the count of three, if you believe that today and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, one, two, three, come on, throw those hands up. Come on, right here in this house, all over this house, we pray this today. Say this with us. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again to give me a new life. Today I declare you are my Lord and Savior. You are my God. And from this day forward, I put my trust in you. And I thank you for a better way. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.